I also want to give a huge shout out to uh, Rory and Dave. So we have to obviously do this whole setup on either a Friday or a Saturday. And they came to set up and because of weather, there had to be another event here. So they did a setup, then they packed down in the morning. Then they came back last night to pack, uh, to set up again. They were here like sort of at six this morning. Um, and so the music and what we do doesn't just happen by accident. It's people who go, we care about God's kingdom enough to be willing to give up time and hours, mornings, nights to serve and to serve the King. And so I, I just, Rory and Dave, thank you. Give them a round of applause. It's huge. Um, there, there's so much we could mention from even this morning to us trying to sort out different plug sockets and Trevor and Brandon here early changing plugs, Roxy racing off to the shops to get insulation tape. Well done. Um, and uh, it's, it's just amazing. I love seeing family in operation. I just love seeing God's church um, as it should be. And so uh, if you're looking for places to serve, as I said before, there's, there's just so many. Uh, we don't want to be bench warmers. Nobody is, uh, was created to be bench warmers. God created us to, to be active and involved in many different areas. And then he works on the back of that. Um, and so that's really exciting to see. So today we're going to be preaching on, or I'm going to be sharing on, still in Colossians, on against the flow. So we're going to be talking about what it means to be against the flow. And so we live in an incredibly distorted world when it comes to relationships in general, in everything. But when it comes to how we relate with other people and what we think about those, it's very distorted. What was considered normal in the past is considered abnormal today. And we see that all around. What's considered normal today would have been absolutely unheard of even 20 years ago. And as Zimbabweans, we often prided ourselves on being kind of the final frontier. We're the last frontier of like upright living and we think about relationships right. And um, actually that's changed and it's changing at a rapid rate. And I would say that our belief sets when it comes to sexuality, marriage, parenting, raising kids is very much in line with first world operating now in Zimbabwe. In our schools and education systems, in what NGOs are bringing into the nation, many of them, I would say that we're very much on track with the rest of society. We need to be aware of that. Uh, no longer is it the good old days, as some would say. I'd say due to social media reach and the internet, we're very much moving in line with society. So today what I want to look at is what does it mean for us to adopt a biblical approach to how we do relationships? How different does that look to your perspective now? And I do want to acknowledge that maybe you are exploring faith today. Maybe it's your first time through church and, and you're probably going to have different perspectives to some of what I shared today. And so I really want to challenge you to have an open heart, sit back, think, take it all in, and we can have lots of discussions afterwards as well. Because what we're going to share today will be different to what we might hear and see in the news. But each of us need to make a decision. We need to make this every day in each aspect of our lives. Will we take what God says as truth, or will we take what society says? Will we go with the flow in the blue-colored water, as it were, just because that's what everyone else does? Or will we go, actually, I'm going to take what the king of the universe says. And regardless of what others say, that's the track I'm going on because I trust him. Do we take what he says as truth or do we move with culture? And so I pray we'll take a hard, honest look at what Jesus says today. And so Paul zeroes in. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to Colossians. If you don't, it is going to be up on the screen. If you're looking for a Bible, there's ones at the back. If you're looking for a great Bible app, there's many that we could help you with as well. But what the Apostle Paul does is last week, what we did is we looked at kind of 
personal lifestyle choices, new lifestyle that God calls us to, things in our character, things in our speech. And so we looked at that, and now today zeroes in and saying, that's fine personally, but how does what God's doing in you personally now affect your closest relationships on earth? We're going to dive into. You see, we can put on a show at a business lunch. We can easily do that. We can put on a persona to people at a business lunch or business meeting, playing golf with our mates or sport or squash if we're as good as... um, Callum, hiding away. Um, Out for coffee at the newest hangout, we can put on a front um, there as well. On social media, we can put on a front with pictures. But our family, our children, our closest business colleagues know what we're really like. We can put a front on the outside, but the people closest to us, we can't hide for long. They know what we're like at our deepest, closest place of life. And so firstly, we're going to look at marriage. They look at marriage. And I recognize here that there's people single parenting, there's people not married, there's people who were married. And that's okay because what we believe about marriage affects how we raise our children, whether we're single parenting or not. What we believe about marriage affects how we operate in society. And so this is what it says under marriage. It says verse 18 and 19. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Right off the bat, there's something really interesting that Paul says here. In Roman culture, he wouldn't have actually used that phrasing. What he would have said is he would have said, wives, obey your husbands. Because in Roman culture, the time that he was in, they didn't have a say in society. So for for the men, it would have been very normal to just say, yes, wives, obey. What your husband says, you do. And Paul intentionally, in writing this letter, changes the Greek word and uses this word submit, which is very different to obey. You see, obedience, there would have been no option really. Yeah, sure, a wife could have disobeyed, but actually there wasn't really an option in the culture. Submission is something that's voluntary. There's a big difference between the two, and Paul recognizes this. So submission is based on the conviction. The reason why Paul says this, that men have a God-given leadership role in the family. And so it isn't a forced obedience. It's actually something that a wife would choose to do if we follow and look at to what God says in Scripture. So it's a, it's a decision from wives to recognize the responsibility that the Lord's placed on men. Just as Adam in Genesis was given that same responsibility. God created Adam. Then he brought Eve because he recognized he definitely couldn't live on his own um, and wouldn't operate properly on his own strength, which most of us guys know. And so uh, he, he brought along Eve, but he was, he, Adam was there in the leadership. And we see this in the Garden of Eden. So actually the kids are doing this right now. If any of your children are in children's church, please ask them. They're doing a series called The Garden, The Curtain, and The Cross. Amazing one that tracks from Genesis and goes all the way through. But in the garden, which they're looking at today, we're also looking at the same. Eve sees this fruit from from the serpent where else she eats it. Adam is standing right there the whole time. He doesn't stop her. So he's just standing there the whole time and she gives it to him. He tastes it as well. This is what's so interesting. They now recognize that they've messed up. They realize who they um, have become. And so they hide themselves. They hide themselves in the garden. And this is what's interesting. God walks in the cool of the day because he walked and talked with them. And he says, Adam, where are you? Now, God knows everything. So he knew exactly what they'd done. And he could have very easily come out and just said, hey, listen, Eve, why did you eat the fruit? You gave it to your husband. You're to blame. He actually goes off to Adam and he questions Adam about what happened. Adam immediately blames his wife. That's what sin does. We don't take responsibility. So he blames his wife, even though he took it. But the point is, is God comes at Adam first 
Why? Because he had given him a responsibility to lead towards Christ, which Adam had not taken. And so God recognized that right at the start. So this is why Paul says, as is fitting in the Lord, meaning God creative design. In every institution, no matter how aligned everyone is, there needs to be someone who ultimately takes responsibility. There's no businesses, there's no churches where there's two CEOs with identical standing. It doesn't work. You can do the searching, you can look around society, nonprofit organizations, you'll never find two with identical leadership roles. Why? Because it doesn't work. We then start going against each other, whereas we're supposed to be in team as we go together. No matter how close the pairing, someone has to hold responsibility. And in the family, the Lord chose the man. So men and women are absolutely equal in value, but there are different roles that we fulfill in marriage. In Galatians 3 verse 28, if any of you are thinking, so our lady sort of second rate, what does God think? No, not at all. Galatians 3 28, this is what it says. There is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And this is Paul writing again, affirming men and women, 100% standing before God. And so it's no wonder in modern society that we've moved away from God's leadership roles in the family. Why would we do it? Because it's a spiritual battle. And the enemy who is alive and active today wants to erode everything biblical. So creation, he attempts to erode. The world just came about by accidental collision of particles. Just came about like that. Okay, so that sort of failed. And even leading scientists today, atheist scientists would say, we don't believe in the God of the Bible, but we believe in creative design, intelligent design. And part of the search for alien life and other life out there is to prove that the God of the Bible didn't create the world in which we see, but someone else more intelligent than us did. That's part of the research. But that's kind of failing to a large extent. So what's the next attack, the next battleground? The family unit. All coming out of the Garden of Eden, God's creative design. And so we need to see this for what it is. But then Paul says, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Love, we spoke a bit about it last week, means seeking the best interest of someone else. Seeking for someone else's best. And so we're to love our wives as men, as Christ loved the church, and that is no small challenge. If you think that's the easy way out compared to what God's asking of ladies, it is very, very different. Jesus loved the church sacrificially, and he gave his life for the church. He sacrificed everything for the sake of the church. So when we talk about men loving your wives, it means sacrificing everything for the sake of our wives and our families means unconditional, it means radical, it means over the top. And so our wives, if you're married here today, if you're thinking about marriage, should be absolutely blown away by the place they find themselves in the family in terms of our love for them. That's what we should be displaying. And that means that your decisions when you attempt to lead the family as God has called you to need to be godly decisions in every possible aspect, which actually means for a wife in that place, If a wife truly feels that you love them with everything and that all that you want to do is follow God and his heart for marriage, then actually submitting and following doesn't become as difficult as it could be if you're leading like Jesus. And then it says, don't be harsh. Again, what Paul's saying is in the Roman world, it was about obedience. Regardless of what you care about and your feelings, you're the wife you follow. And actually, that's not only the Roman Roman world. There's many nations that would operate like that, sadly, here today as well. But women were treated very badly, and it was accepted. Because of a man's makeup, there can be a danger of being prone to harsh words, threats, unkindness, and in the worst cases, abuse. And there shouldn't be a hint of that 
in anyone's home who calls himself a Christ follower. Not a hint of harshness. So if that's a challenge for you, hey, come and get prayer afterwards. We'll pray for God to help in that. So some practical guidance for all of us in loving and submitting. Firstly, if you're married here today, it's about being a team. It's all about team that the, join, the Lord has joined together. You're always on the same side. I think some people here today, maybe you're married, sit going, but actually it just feels like we're, we're at each other and it's about who wins this and who wins that. No, we're on the same team fighting for the same things in God. You're leading your family together. It's leading the family together. So mutual submission is actually your way of life. It's almost trying to beat each other to, how can I serve you more? How can I serve you more? And as you do that, you lead collectively for the family. You're both trying to outdo each other in caring for each other. So that's the first one, you're a team. Second one, men focus on unconditional love. That has to be your priority. And ladies focus on recognizing some of your husband's leadership, even if it's really hard to find. So maybe you're sitting here as a lady and you're just going, oh my goodness, I just wish he would lead in something or I wish he would do something. Even if it's something really tiny, like just for once he puts milk in the milk jug or something that you asked, or he just does something. I mean, this may sound over the top to you, but you really could get him and look him in the eyes and just be saying, my love, when you did that, that was astounding. That was incredible. And you're sitting there going like, this is the most ridiculous thing. I mean, how could he not think of this? Just recognizing the smallest to make go, oh my goodness, actually, sheesh, I can lead this family. I was able to wash those dishes. Okay, I'm not that bad after all. And, and it helps. So we both have to work on these things. Husbands are the same, spotting things in your wives, unconditional love. Don't get into a vicious cycle of withholding because of hurt. We can do that, withholding something, withholding love, withholding recognition because we're hurt. And once we get into that vicious cycle, there's no going back. Somebody has to break the cycle. And you can only break the cycle if Christ is operating in your heart, where you go, that hurts, I wasn't getting that, but I'm just gonna give us that. We've gotta learn to break the cycle. And men, one day the Lord is gonna hold us accountable to how we've loved our wives. Before business, before work, before success, when we come before him one day, if we end up being married, he's gonna say, I just wanna ask you one question. Before anything else, raising your kids, success in business, all of this, how you led the church, anything like that, how did you love your wife? It's gonna be a big challenge. It's gonna come before anything else. Ladies as well, he's gonna hold you accountable. He's gonna ask you, how did you allow your husband to lead? I set up the world like this. Did you make it easy? Did you make it difficult? Before anything else, that's also what he's gonna ask. Before how you parent your kids. As a mom, he's gonna ask, how did you do when it came to marriage relationship? So God's gonna challenge us on these, we need to be aware. When making decisions, seek for unity and agreement. Listen, discuss, pray, seek advice from people you respect and admire if you need to. Sarah and I, we were working out something, working out something, um, and we, we, we go, we'll chat to another couple and say, hey, listen, what's your take on this? What's the way forward? We'd love to get your advice. Um, we'd love you to pray into the situation for us. We don't want to make this decision on our own. What do you think? It's important. We all need that. We need couples like that to help us through journeys. Don't act too quickly. If either of you in the relationship are not sure about something, take your time. Take your time. Don't hurry family decisions. But sometimes there will be an emergency. There will be a decision that needs to be made and it just needs to be made right away. And maybe you just don't know the way to go. Maybe you're at loggerheads or you just don't know the way to go, but it has to be made. There's been a car accident or it's right at the end of the school term and uh, you're deciding on high school and frankly, your kid has to go somewhere. 
And so you have to make a decision on those sorts of things. Then ultimately, if neither of you are sure, then as the leader of the home, as a husband, you need to make that call and your wife needs to be at peace with that. I can guarantee you if you've been loving your wife and if you've been following Jesus, probably most of the time, it's happened with Sarah and I a few times while she's feeling like, I don't know what to do, Craig, make the decision. And then I get scared because then I'm like, oh my goodness, now it's really going to fall on me if I make this call. But it's important. We have to do that. But if we're loving our wives and we're following Jesus, when it comes to that moment of crisis, God will give every opportunity to make a wise decision. So when a husband and wife are operating as God intended, it's beautiful. You can see team, you can see unity, you can see support, you can see loving and respecting, you can see that children feel safe. You can see it as a picture of what's right and true, which Paul says in Ephesians points to Jesus. He says it's a mystery, but when marriage is done right and family is done right, it points to Jesus. And so that's the real goal in society. If you aren't married yet, this is your example to follow. If you're single parenting, you can still display this to your children, God's purpose and plan for marriage for them one day. It's important even for them. So there's lots more that we can say, and we're going to dive into this and many of the different aspects that we face next year. We've got a a marriage course that we're going to be doing. There's great resources at the back if you want to purchase uh, something, but we'll dive into that more later. I hope those are helpful tips. Next one, parenting. So Paul goes marriage first. Marriage is priority above children. We need to recognize that. It's a lot more important than children. After that, he addresses children. Verse 20, he says, children, obey your parents in everything. I recognize kids aren't here right now. That's okay. You can tell them that. Um, But also, this is for us as parents to know this is how children should act. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. The children, as I said, aren't here. Many of them might be too young to understand some of what's said, but actually children know a lot. We need to understand and recognize that. But the way that Paul's writing this, he's speaking much more broadly when it comes to children, much more broadly. I believe he's talking about any child who is still reliant on their parent for something, financial, housing, and then obviously everything else. So you might be sitting here and you might be still living at home even though you're sort of 18, 19, 20, this still applies. Um, And this could still apply to you if you parent your kids as they go on a bit further. So it does apply. If you're not living on your own and providing financially for yourself, then this probably doesn't apply to you. Then you already would have been in the place of leaving home. So obeying parents is essential because it is the only way our children can learn to obey God. It's the only way. If our children aren't able to obey us as moms and dads, they will never be able to listen to a heavenly father. They'll never be able to take scripture as truth. And so parenting our children in obedience is vital for the sake of their faith. If we don't train up our children in the ways of the Lord, um, that also comes out of scripture, it's possible that they might not end up following. It's possible. There's always time for them to come back to God. But if we train our children in the way they should go, if we train them in God's ways, and if we model it as parents, the likelihood of them coming to faith is very high. A few comments on this for parents. And we're in this process learning as well. I mean, our children are perfect, but we're still learning um, and we're still trying. (laughs) No, we've got a long way to go. So we're on this journey. Parents, you are the leader of the home and not your child. It's important to know that. I think there's a lot of children who lead the homes, particularly in wealthy families, but there's a lot of children who've learned how to lead the, phone, uh, lead the homes. 
So your children are not allowed to call the shots through manipulation, tantrums, or working against mom and dad. Hey, dad, what about this? Hey, mom, what about this? Dad, mom said this. Mom, dad said this. Getting their own way. Not allowed. Don't let it happen in your family. And if you've allowed it to happen now, can I tell you there's going to be pushback if you make a change today? And there might be a tantrum. And you might just say, well, actually, that's going to happen, and it doesn't matter. I'm not changing no matter how much you cry. Might have to make those sorts of calls if your children have been secretly and subtly leading the family in your lives. So be aware of that. They must know that you're the leader and that there's no budging on that as mom and dad. Obedience doesn't come naturally. We don't teach our children to disobey, we teach them to obey. Because from birth, this proves that we've got sin in our lives. If we didn't have sin, we would be perfect at the start and later we would become corrupted. But we're not. We're imperfect at the start. It's why we don't have to teach our toddlers to disobey us. Don't touch that. Do not touch that, otherwise you're going to get a smack. And then they get a smack. Um, in this country, that's allowed. That's another discussion for another time. <laughs> if I was in another country, I'd have to be scared about saying that, hey? But obedience doesn't come naturally. It has to be trained. And the longer you wait, the more difficult it becomes. Next one, as early as possible, explain to your children that obeying you is actually more about following Jesus than it is about listening to mom and dad. We're trying to do that with our girls, eight and six. We don't do it perfectly. But when they hurt each other, when they don't listen to us, we're actually trying to say, you know, girls, that hurts Jesus a lot more than it hurts mom and dad. And we want you to follow Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus. And so recognize that actually your behavior is a lot more about what Jesus thinks than what mom and dad thinks. So bring in faith at a very young age. It has eternal consequences. So teach them young and model it. Um, I shared earlier, but we've got amazing resources that just landed for parents. We're going to be doing more in the year ahead, but there's some brilliant ones there. We're doing them at cost. We just want to invest in parenting. doesn't matter what phase of parenting you are. We want to invest in it. What about this part about fathers provoking their children? <laughs> what exactly does that mean? How could our, us as dads lead to our children being discouraged? And again, Paul doesn't say moms. He says dads. I think it's because dads struggle in this a lot more. What does it mean? Well, there's a specific leadership role that fathers have. That's why Lifeway Research did this amazing study, and I'll get the stats right, I'll maybe put them on social media, where it was something like 90% of the time if dads come to church, the family comes to faith. And for if moms come to church, about 10 to 15% of time they do because of that role that God's um, given dads. So dads make faith and church a priority. It needs to be a priority from dads. So here's some thoughts on that passage about how we can provoke our children as dads, how we can um, lead them to be discouraged. Don't compare your children to yourself, to what you did in the past, or to each other. That can lead to a huge amount of discouragement. No comparison to how you live, to what you did, and to each other. They're uniquely made by God, and they will be discouraged if you do that. They have a specific purpose God's given them. It's gonna be different to other children, so don't compare. Don't parent with sarcasm. And I'm guilty of this. I'm very guilty of this and I need to improve on this. And Sarah's great at saying, ah, sarcastic. Because I can do that. And we can be sarcastic with our children. It's not helpful for them. So don't be sarcastic in your parenting. Be clear. Be clear. Be aware if it creeps in. 
also realize that our children are our children. They're not adults yet. So they're going to make mistakes. They're not going to think on the level that we might do as parents. They're not going to act the same way. So help them when they fail. Have conversations about how things could have been done differently rather than making fun of them or rather than, again, a sarcastic comment when they failed. How else could our children get discouraged? Could we provoke them? By not having healthy, consistent boundaries, by being too ridiculously strict or being absolutely lax. We need to ask God for wisdom on healthy boundaries and those change and adjust as our children get older. And don't change those boundaries with different children or when you're tired. It's really easy for us to slip on boundaries that we have, particularly technological boundaries when we're tired. But on all of them, don't let it slip when you're tired. Have clear reasons for your boundaries, but have them. We're not meant to live in complete freedom. So be strong on boundaries. So you have to have the discussions, teens and phones, time to be home at night, those sorts of things. As dads, live in an honorable and upright manner. Men of integrity and maturity, love your wives. Don't make it difficult for your children to respect you in social gatherings. Don't make it difficult for your kids to look in and go, that's kind of embarrassing and my dad doesn't have the best mouth around people and it just you, we can make it awkward as dads for our children to actually want to follow us. So be a man that your child looks to and goes, either I want to be like that one day or I'm so grateful that that's the dad to my mom. So that's a responsibility for us. Last little bit. It's a quick one. This one is about employment, the workplace. This is what it says. Bond servants or slaves... Bond servants, slaves, I'll explain it a bit. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done, and there's no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing you also have a master in heaven. In Paul's time of life, slavery was absolutely normal. Sometimes it would be a slave who'd actually worked their way out of slavery, but they were a bond servant. They chose to continue working for their master. But it would have been similar to how slavery operated in Africa as well. And Paul doesn't say this is good, but it's a reality of the life that they lived in then. So this passage of scripture, in a sense, paves the way for correct operating as people moved out of slavery. We see that we'll go into next week's passage. So we're clear from God's heart uh, for people that slavery is absolutely wrong and there's no space for it. It's one of the reasons, one of the key organizations we're supporting outside of Zim is called A21, fighting against slavery around the world. And so we love to support that each month. But what are the principles we can draw out of this if we're an employer or an employee? Then we'll close. Sorry, we'll be a few minutes late. Firstly, Work to the best of our ability, honoring those who are in leadership over us. Not when they're looking, but all the time. We give of our best as employees. It's one of the things that I love here at Hope, people's hearts to serve and to serve with excellence. Uh, I mean, Dave on the electric guitar. I mean, could you get better than that today? Uh, it was astounding. I mean, well done. <laughs> I mean, everyone did a great job, but uh, Dave, that was great. The only time we must disobey is if what we're being asked to do is clearly against God's ways. What else for employees? We ultimately work for Jesus. So yes, we serve our boss, but more importantly, we serve Jesus. That, obey, that changes everything. It really does. Number three, we may work for a paycheck, but there's something more valuable that we're working for in the Lord. That's eternal inheritance that matters for all eternity. So our attitude, our heart at work, the opportunities we take for God's kingdom, those have eternal reward far greater than an earthly paycheck. 
Number four, if you're treated unjustly, it means that maybe you need to leave or maybe you don't, but you can leave if you need to with the ultimate judge God who sees everything to take justice into his hands one day. So not everything's gonna be just in our lives, but we can leave that to God. We don't have to fight all the time. It says he will pay it back on judgment day. Last one for employee, employers, the bosses. Number one, employers need to treat those under our employment justly and fairly. A fair wage, fair working conditions. People should know that you're a Christian by the way that you run your business. It should be evident that you are a Christ follower by the way that you run your business. So what's your company culture? What sort of leader are you known as? If I was to interview all of the staff under your care, what kind of person would they say that you are? Be interesting test to do. I won't do it. Maybe this week I'll do some secret interviews. It's a challenge for all of us. Number two, we all have the best employer in God, the most gracious employer, the most generous employer. Where did our brains and ability come from to lead businesses from him? So always remember that. It keeps us humble regardless of our success. But what area of leadership can we improve on as godly men and women in business? How can we improve in that? So it's been a quick fire journey through some key relationships. As I said, we're gonna do a series next year, but it's important that we covered it today. In fact, it was some of Paul's shorter sentences. You know, we always say he writes super long letters. This was just bam, bam, bam. So we need to take it as that. But we must come back to the why. Why should we do relationships, parenting, and employment in this manner? Why this method of living? It's for the chance, it's for the opportunity of somebody coming to faith, of somebody finding hope in Christ, of someone seeing the way we parent our kids, the way we do marriage, the way we do business, and saying there's something different, and I want to find out why. And so I pray that that's what happens for for us as hope as we head out from here, that people see the difference in us. Should we stand and pray? Lord Jesus, there's been lots to cover. What it means to do marriage, what it means to single parent, what it means to co-parent, what it means to be a single person thinking about marriage, what it means to be an employer, an employee, lots that we've ground we've covered. Holy Spirit, would you bring to memory everything from here that's, that I've spoken that's of you? Would you challenge us? Would you instruct us? If we're here and we've been going with culture and we're exploring faith and for the first time maybe we've sat and gone, actually that makes sense. That's a different way to live, but, but, but I, need to, I need to think about that. Would you challenge us? If you're exploring faith here today, take one step closer to Jesus. Fill in a welcome card. Say you'd love someone to pray with you or chat more about faith. Come to us afterwards here. If that word for you was for you about there's an answer you're needing from God right now, come to the front. There'll be a a team here ready to pray for you. But take a step closer to God. If it's getting a a hold of a Bible for the first time, do it. If it's signing up to serve because you've never done that, do it. If it's it's giving to God's kingdom generously because you've never done it, do it. Whatever that step is for you, if it's sitting down with your wife or with your husband and saying, hey, listen, let's talk about being a team if it's setting boundaries for your children, if it's seeking the advice of someone else who's older and more respected for a tough decision, if it's changing the way your business operates from Monday, do it, listen to God's heart and do it. Father, you're so good, you're so generous and you're so kind and I pray as we head from here today, you would help us. You'd help us to be a light, to be hope bringers in the city, to be a breath of fresh air to everyone we come into contact with. Your powerful name we pray. Amen.